Hey everybody, welcome back to Six Feet Under. Uh, today we're going to be bringing you yet another of our topical pod chats with uh, uh, two special guests. And this is going to be going up alongside our Eclipse Phase game. But first, the topic is uh, the pros and cons of running a game in an established setting. And our lineup is today uh, good buddy Ix from The Usual Crew. Myself, Ironicus, and two very esteemed, very special guests. Please introduce yourselves as you would like to be introduced. Hello, I am Cercel. I'm going to be our GM for uh, the upcoming Eclipse Phase game. I am some guy who made a couple of LPs and knows a bunch about Eclipse Phase. That's about it. Cool. Are you doing anything these days for the folks, uh, for, for a general audience? And if so, where can they find it? I run a social justice blog called uh, Fuck No Video Games All right. to keep an eye on um, issues. Trash. All of, them um, things where you'd say yeah, that phrase trash. when it's you find out about it. Fuck no. It's a t-shirt. Pretty much my days. Upcoming t-shirt. Yep. And very esteemed, very special guest number two. Hi, um, I'm uh, Gertrude Perkins. You um, could have been number one, but you slept on it. Well, yeah, I'm. I have slept a lot in the last couple of days, but um, yeah, I am going to be playing Finn in the upcoming game, and I am a person who is tangentially involved in LP. Um, I'm I'm the part that did his master's thesis on it, and I just started my PhD. <laughs> Congratulations! You won't be able to say that for very long, you know. Not not just started. I guess there are two things no. you won't be able to say for very long. Eventually, yeah. you'll have started a while ago, and you won't be the person who made a master's thesis on LP. You've seen more no, sunsets than you will see. <laughs> Eventually, you'll be one of the first, and not the only. I know that's a worry. That's a worrying prospect. I am not looking forward to the day when someone cites me because that will be very strange. I don't know. I found it very flattering. Thank you. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I did enjoy the shout-out. Thank you. Uh, but in any case, back to the matter at hand. Uh, running a game in an established setting. Eclipse Phase, which is the game we're going to play tonight, does exactly that. Uh, it's tuned to its uh, cyberpunk, transhuman, uh, post-digital apocalypse world. And uh, uh, the game is geared toward that. And it assumes you won't be using the mechanics for much of anything else. As opposed to something... I guess uh, on the exact other end, something like, say, Fate Core or Fate Accelerated, which is just an engine, and you bring all the setting to it. And then all sorts of spots in between on a uh, spectrum. That's the word. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to be talking about that one far end. Uh, so uh, what are some existing settings that uh, people here in the pod chat enjoy for whatever reason. Oh man, like just in games or across everything ever. We never shackle ourselves to one medium. Well, I like Mega Man and I'm sure there's plenty of Mega Man RPGs. Oh man, I would, Mega Man is so good. <laughs> okay, so two what, for Mega Man. What uh, appeals to you about it? And by Mega Man, are you like saying the whole series? Like X and ZX and network Battle Network, etc. Well, X can eat it. Halcyon um, days. <laughs> I like Zero and ZX um, because 
they have an appealing dystopian feeling the same way that uh, Eclipse Phase does, actually. Um, actually, the same reason I like Boktai, I think. It has, they, all three of these settings, which I all enjoy, have pretty grim, dystopian, dark futures, which, uh, now that I think about it, might say a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, a post-apocalyptic world is a really good one to build a game, whether it be tabletop or not, on, because it's really easy to start from zero in a world that has been wiped clean. Yeah. Because you can, you know, just put ruins everywhere if you want. You don't even have to start from history year zero. You can go negative and just say, oh, everybody forgot about this cool giant tower with the lasers on it. Uh uh, how about more? Uh, well, who wants to go next <laughs> before we do follow? Uh, well, it's uh, it's it's related to the, to the dystopia thing, but it's not apocalyptic. Um, uh, Shadowrun, as as a setting and as as a system, like I, I've I've run a few cam- campaigns in it, and like I don't, and the the thing that drew me to it is just the setting and the world, mm-hmm. because because you've got all your you know all your classic not too distant future. Cyberpunks, you know, like runners versus versus the megacorps, that kind of stuff. But then, on top of that, you've also got all of this like mishmash of fantasy stuff. Like there are elves and dragons and like insect ghosts, and it, and it's and it's just this huge kind of kaleidoscope of genre fiction stuff. And and at the same time, it has a coherent narrative and story with like books that are considered canon and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, in 2057, a dragon ran for president of the US, won, then was killed 13 hours later by a magical suicide bomb. Ain't that how it goes? Ah. I know, right? Politics, man. It's ripped from today's headlines. (laughs) What has the world come to, really? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw in a vote for uh, Metal Gear Solid. Something I've always been a fan of, despite the fact it's um, its mythology is kind of off the wall. <laughs> yeah. um, There's a bit of a kitchen sink feel to it because, uh, in, in certain yeah, It's um, it's interesting because it portrays a world that is kind of like our own, but with all these bizarre secret history twists, like. No, it wasn't actually the Gulf War syndrome. It was genetic testing. What? Okay. It's a little bit Why? like if every conspiracy theory wasn't true, it's that there was a whole bevy of other conspiracy theories that you didn't know about that they're true. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just layer upon layer of um, bizarre backstory that kind of contradict each other at times, but it's gotten a lot of interesting connections and it feels like it has an internal mythology without having to take itself too seriously at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to throw in one that is tabletop specific just to, for the fun of it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and say, uh, g- give a, a shout out to Eberron, which is, uh, if you're, oh, oh, I love Eberron. Yeah. Yes. If you're going to do a D and D style fantasy, which is exactly what it is, it's a licensed D and D uh, setting. But if you're going to do that, take one that uh, really makes an attempt to grapple with what magic in day to day life would be, and uh, as well as the, the layers of like World War One allegory and. Uh, making a setting that's very gameable in that uh the the biggest baddest npcs around aren't 
frankly very high level there, so there, there's no like hey why isn't that uh, awesome wizard from the novel just fixing this why, why is it my job well because that awesome wizard from the novel is only slightly more awesome than you and they're busy right now uh, hmm. by the time yeah, you finish like, this like, quest you'll be more awesome than them than, than yeah, like, i've heard eberron described as like almost magic punk yeah or, or, or whatever equivalent punk suffix that would be mm-hmm. like like uh and how and how like a lot of the best what I would I would say I would say are the best sort of settings. It does feel like there's a world around you that keeps churning on whether you're adventuring or not. Right. And there's a place for your uh actions to really plug in there and and make changes. Uh yeah, exactly. Something that some uh, other established settings feel a lot more static. Uh yeah. Your yeah, characters I, are comparatively larger cogs in the machine and can have actual impact that right. designers have accommodated for. And even in our beloved 13th age, the icons are nigh untouchable to the point where when anyone is replaced, another one always steps up, so there is always 13. So even though 13th age has a lot of fill-in-the-blank aspects, uh, the aspects that are there are very much solid and unchangeable. I'm sorry, but slots slept through the ages where that wasn't true, so... <laughs> I don't yeah, know who I, this is. Uh, let's talk about Eclipse phase. Yeah. Okay. I, actually, if that kind of reminded me of um, of a not-so-good setting that I experience. Um, there's this uh, there's this mod, well, there's this fan mod for D&D 3rd Edition called Weird Wars, mm-hmm. which basically is a sort of occult-infused World War II setting. Okay. Okay. So, 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 like, like, generally, conceptually, your soldiers... it sounds solid. Uh... Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, like, 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 as a, as a setting, as a, as a, as a premise, it's really cool. But the, but the fact is that, like, um, the, the sort of, the actual nuts and bolts of the game are pretty low grade in, in that you don't feel like you're doing much in terms of you know like turning the tide of war or like you feel more like you're on a ride at disneyland rather than being yeah, a character like, yeah like i mean they, they, this might have just been the, the the group and the gm i played with but this uh, but a lot of it kind of felt like we were ancillary to whatever grander schemes were going on mm-hmm. it seems like the common downfall to a lot of games that establish lots of factions and establish their relationships to each other um, and 13th Age, I think, very easily could have gone down that route if it hadn't been for icon relationships to ensure that characters have di- direct, gameable relationships. Um, if not for that, it definitely would have been very easy to just become a slideshow of various icons and factions battling each other while you take on, you know, mercenary work to collect ten lizard tails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was something... That- I was planning to bring up about Eclipse Phase because it, it does feel like a very static setting. Um, maybe we should get to collect. Maybe we should get explain. To collect space lizard tails. Maybe we should explain a little bit <laughs> wow. about yeah. how the Eclipse Phase setting works first. Oh yeah, yeah. Eclipse Phase is set ten years after, well, basically the apocalypse. Um, war machines called the Titans gained sentience and uh, wiped out ninety percent of the human population. So transhumanity has been forced to relocate across the solar system and to reorganize itself in a variety of um, political and social factions. 
Um, there's the Planetary Consortium. There's the Morningstar Constellation. There's Anarchists. There's Exhumans. There's Scum. There's a whole laundry list of different um, philosophical groups. Um, and there's just so much, and it's so large, it becomes difficult to think, okay, where do I fit in with all this? Yeah, and the main conceit of the series is that um, bodies are disposable. Um, your mind, which is referred to as your ego, can enter a variety of different bodies, which are called morphs, uh, which is an interesting... It's definitely an interesting concept, and it definitely has a bunch of fun gameplay consequences of, like, getting into the body that's real good at punching versus getting into yeah. the body that's real good at running around and not getting punched. Yeah, set setting-wise, I was I was telling uh, Sosel about this a while ago. Um, it reminds me a lot of, uh, if anyone's read uh, anything by Hanu, Hanu Rajanyemi, um, like The Quantum Thief, I believe is uh, the first of his trilogy, which is this... Like far future, explicitly post-human science fiction stuff, and and in it, like yeah, like sort of bodies and and mortality itself has become so little of a deal that it that it makes you know even simple sort of cat and mouse detective uh, police things this huge and tangled conspiracy web. So yeah. I agree. Yeah, conspiracy is a really big thing in Eclipse Phase. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because even though these larger factions are inscrutable and difficult to deal with, you're um, still a skilled person who is interacting with them on a regular basis. So you have the ability to start poking into what makes this universe tick and um, what happens behind closed doors. And a big part of it, mechanically speaking, is uh, networking and reputation. Um, rep is shared a lot like uh, cash, except it has social implications. If you do someone a favor, you get rep. If you do, if you want someone to do a favor for you, you burn rep. Um, so your actions have very direct ramifications. Having a mechanical basis for getting into um, established factions is a good uh, a good place to start. Same with Thirteenth Age, like I said, icon rolls. But I think the yeah, I think the main thing that makes um, Eclipse Phase with its huge body of fiction uh, actually really work is that the core conceit. Half the rule book actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is Half a game with lists and lists and lists of powers and uh, uh, stats and abilities. And half the rulebook is, is their setting info. Yeah, but what makes me think that it actually works is that the core conceit of the universe is centered on people like the players. The conceit that egos and morphs are interchangeable. Um, if the story had been completely focused on the Titans and how incredibly tough they were or something like that, something that took the focus away from the players... Um, it would very easily become just an inscrutable monolith that players bang to their heads against. But instead, with the core conceit being the morphs, a lot of the writing becomes focused on the players, which makes it a lot easier for new players to the game to at least think of a few ways that they can insert themselves into the established story rather than struggling to yeah, find a way. 
it helps too that um, a lot of characters, not just players, will have no idea what's happening in you know behind the veil because a lot of it happens in secret. Even the core book refers to things as rumors and hearsay, and there's multiple ways things can play out, even on a factional level. So now that we've got a handle on some uh, specific examples of established settings and what we like in or, or dislike in about a few of them in particular, let's cover the, their broad uh, uh, advantages and disadvantages as a, as a category of thing. Uh, I mean, for one, the, it's a big time saver. You get a whole lot of information given to you that you didn't have to come up with. I am, <laughs> I'm going to take the firm anti-established story stance over here. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if that would be far left or far right in this argument, but I'll be over there nevertheless. Uh, just, um, lean, I just lean one way or another in your chair. Uh, okay, got I th it. I think in, in my experience, um, like, I... I, I definitely enjoy using the established settings. Like I said, I love Shadowrun. I really like Eberron. I, I, there are a lot of other settings that I think work. But I've pretty much never had a good experience sticking to, say, uh, a story module or, or any sort of canonical narrative within that world. Right. Like mo mo Mostly because the, the, there's so much potential for players to fuck with that particular narrative. Yeah. Like within a few sessions you have changed everything, you mean? Yeah, yeah, literally that. As in, in like inserted he, a lot of your own story beats into the existing stuff or completely subverted them. Yeah, and 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 it get it gets to the point where the where the GM either sort of has to railroad you back on track or you end up sort of going sod the module. So uh your advice would be to not keep it too faithful to to the setting? Yeah, yeah I mean, the module. You're you're working toward the session you're enjoying with your crew, and not well on page two eighteen. Uh, there yeah. are definitely people who enjoy playing it that way, yeah. and you know, no no shade thrown on them for it. I, I think uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, established settings and, and modules and such are great for players who really enjoy a, a rich and detailed world with a history especially if their GM isn't the sort of person that likes coming up with that. Like, yeah. th thinking back to all the games that uh, Poorweather ran, like she w would come up with pages and pages of stuff like, oh, I'm thinking of playing a dwarf. Well, all right, well, here's everything your average dwarf knows about dwarves. Read this this afternoon. And it was wow. great, and she did it herself. Basically established settings that Basically. she herself made. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. were fantastic, but imagine... If uh, there was a player that, that was really interested in that sort of thing in general, and I definitely enjoyed it as a change of pace, but if she didn't want to make it, well, yeah. it, then you, you go to your uh, Forgotten Realms source book and it's been done for you. Or you could just go get Harry Potter yeah. off the yeah. shelf as yeah. the DM, you know, just start from page one. Here mm -hmm. we go. Yeah, at, at, the same at the same time, though, though if... Uh... Well, you know, when your setting has sort of established figureheads and canons, it can be very fun and almost like a treat for your players to sort of uh, bring them in, even on a, an ancillary level. Ah, yes, the guest stars. Oh yeah, like like <laughs> I, like I like a friend of mine. Like he's been in a sh uh, sh long long running Shadowrun campaign for about three or so years, and uh, and uh, the inimitable Jake Armitage himself 
made an mm-hmm. appearance. And, mm-hmm. and that was, I, I was lucky enough to be there for that, and that was pretty intense. The other nice thing about established settings is that most of the time there's nothing keeping you to the mechanics of that setting. Like, friend of the show, Table Hop, is working on um, a shadow run, basically a shadow run adaption for 13th Age called 13th Run, you know? You can take oh, wow. you can take stories that you like and bring them into mechanics that you like and then often come up with something new and exciting. That's interesting, because I know, I know a lot of people who like the Shadowrun setting but don't like the Shadowrun system. Yeah. Yeah, I know of a few people who have done the same with Eclipse Phase. I know that there's a fiasco playset for it. Um, you can just take everything into lasers and feelings. They're, they're playtesting... Uh, <laughs> into lasers and feelings. They're playtesting Eclipse Fate right now. Yeah. This oh, very weekend. That was a tra- stretch goal for their transhuman uh, campaign. Isn't the whole thing a transhuman um, campaign? I think that... <laughs> well... <laughs> The, the Kickstarter campaign for their transhuman book. Um, I'm pretty much going to agree with everyone. Yeah, um, as a toolkit, I think that established settings are really useful, in part because I absorb information like a sponge. It's kind of what I do. Um, so it is useful to be able to sit down and read about this world that the developers have thought about and plotted connections between but at the same time, you can't really feel beholden to that. You have to be willing to discount some things or to modify them based on what the players would enjoy more. So um, an established setting is really only as established as you want it to be. And then you have me who reads the first two pages and goes, man, I have way better ideas than this. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go. I got this. Here's... A point that doesn't really uh, segue from anything, but I wanted to bring it up. Hey, let, let, let me blow your minds here. You know what my favorite established setting is to play in? Harry Potter. The real world. Whoa! Whoa. It, it has <gasps> every advantage you could possibly give. Your, your players are familiar with it. They know what to expect. And as, as long as you put in something more interesting to do, uh, then, then you've got... There's been more literature written about the actual world as it is than any other setting ever. Yeah, Harry Potter. Yes, yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it, yeah it, it it pretty much goes, you know, like like Gygax and then Heidegger just like next to each other on the shelf, snuggled up. So so when you get a game like say uh, Knights Black Agents, which is you are uh, spies it from real world uh, uh, organizations like. Uh, the CIA MI5, but now you're hunting vampires. Now, wh- when you're going to go hunt the vampire menace in uh, uh, Boston, you can bring up an actual map of Boston, and you have hundreds of years of stuff on the history of Boston and where some weird uh, uh, bloodsucker could be living nowadays and what they were up to in 1937. And there's so much wealth for you to draw on and truth is stranger than fiction if you know the right history books to look for it. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. You mean like lizard people? Yeah. Movies. Yeah. I um I once DM'd a game of uh, Call of Cthulhu, specifically Delta Green, which is set in the '90s, kind of an X Filesy kind of feeling, which Ooh, okay. um drew upon much the same kind of real world inspiration. Like it was set 
in a real place. It was um, something that you could just look up on Wikipedia. And it is, you know, more accessible than a sprawling universe spread across six source books. It's something that people understand. Yeah, I think I think that feels like the sort of thing that um, that White Wolf tried to do with a lot of the new World of Darkness stuff. As in, like, as in, like, establishing it within the real world, just with this sort of this horrible underworld behind the curtain. But uh, I, don't, I, but at the, at the same time, I'm not sure they they managed to sort of reconcile the reality thing with the whole you know masquerade craziness. Eh, give it time. <laughs> I think on the other end of on the other end of basing a session uh, more or less on the real world might be to base a session on absolutely nothing. Just have your players uh, choose only the mechanics for their characters. Come to the first session. And just have a nice little brainstorm combined with just trying to figure out the world as you go along and see what comes out. That can be pretty entertaining. It's a little bit more extreme than what often happens in Let's Play 13th Age, but it's along that same track. Wouldn't your problem there be uh, people picking mechanics that it turns out, oh man, I'm the best witch hunter and oh god, there are no witches. Then there are witches. If you're a witch hunter, then there obviously (laughs) have to be witches. I mean, this isn't... But this like, is a logical world. You, you yeah, I mean, which came you, first, you witches, the witch hunter or the witch? If you fight witches for long enough, you're just going to start seeing them everywhere anyway. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There are 101 explanations for why you're a witch hunter without any witches. <laughs> which is the name of my new book. Check uh, check out uh, Barnes & Noble. It's on Gumroad, Witch Hunter Without Witches. It's a... It's, a, it's romantic, anyway. <laughs> It's, but but <laughs> with a capital no, 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 R, the, that, it's like uh, the romantic the sequel, period. Witch hunter without britches. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was terrible. Oh dear. Uh, good night, folks. Uh, oh dear. <laughs> oh no, come back. Come on. <laughs> so established settings, uh, in the end, are very similar to established rule sets in that you only have to follow them as long as you and your fellow players want to, and then you can just run right off the path and deep into the woods until you get lost. Oh which god, is I my, killed which, Elminster. Which is my usual DMing approach to get lost in the woods, metaphorically, and while well, I'm DMing on a smartphone. <laughs> uh, another special thank you to our, our guest Gertrude Pers- Perkins and uh, Cerciel, and we are going to see you folks at home in the next bit. <laughs> <laughs>